Welcome to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the latest marketing trends, tools, and tips, and provide you with the top resources you need to thrive and make your marketing mesmerizing. And now, here's your host, Dimple Dang. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm so excited to have Hala Taha, who is the princess of podcasting on the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. And we are so excited to welcome this princess, although I almost want to call her a queen because she is definitely a seasoned podcaster and she's got one of the top podcasts out there. And let me tell you a little bit more about Hala. She is one of the biggest influencers on LinkedIn. And her podcast, which is called Young and Profiting, is the number one trending podcast in the education category on Chartable, also abbreviated as YAP for Young and Profiting. She has gotten over 3 million downloads on all platforms, and she has interviewed celebrity guests such as Matthew McConaughey, Deepak Chopra, Seth Godin, Mark Manson, Ryan Serhant, and more. So you definitely want to make sure that you subscribe to her podcast as well before you finish listening to this episode. And you might as well subscribe to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast as well. And if you've been thinking of launching your own podcast, make sure you check the show notes for my next Launch Your Podcast Masterclass so that you can also have a show like we do. All right. So Hala. It's such an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. I'm super excited to interview you. This is so amazing. Welcome. I'm very excited as well. Please tell the audience, I'm sure most people know who you are, but we always get the new listeners who might be like, who is this amazing woman? So give us a brief introduction. Sure. So my name is Hala. I am the CEO of Yap Media and the host of Young and Profiting. And I've been nicknamed the podcast princess. And you know, I'm going to ask you for the audience, how did you get that nickname, the podcast princess? Oh, I got that nickname from Podcast Magazine. I got on the cover and they coined me the Palestinian podcast princess. And then people started just calling me the podcast princess and I liked the name. And so I started referencing myself that way too. Absolutely. And it is a title well-earned and well-deserved. So I absolutely love that. And let's go back in the day. Let's talk about when you first thought about the idea of launching your own podcast. How did that all come about? I want to hear the story behind it. What was your inspiration behind it? Sure. So I started Young and Profiting Podcast in April of 2018. And at the time, I was working corporate at Hewlett Packard. But I actually started my career in radio. I started my career at Hot 97, the world's number one hip hop and R&B station. And that's where I first grew my love of podcasting. And, And that was back when I was 19 years old. I worked there for free for three years. And I always had that love. I had lots of online radio shows throughout the years. So I would host with my friends and other up and coming DJs. I'd have different online radio shows and interview music artists. I've interviewed like Soulja Boy, Fabulous. This was all pre Young and Profiting. And I used to even have a YouTube show at one point pre Young and Profiting. And so I was always into that kind of thing. And even when I was in corporate and I thought I would never get back on a mic, I was the girl that was like interviewing the CEO for the town hall and like still doing the same type of stuff just in a different way, translating my skills in a different way. And then I didn't get an opportunity that I really wanted at Hewlett Packard. It was this volunteer organization that I was working in for two years and they didn't give me the opportunity. And that triggered me to want to start something new that I owned where there was no gatekeeper that I could control and grow as I wish. And that's why I started Young and Profiting Podcast. I love that you created your own path when there was none because sometimes people get discouraged and they just want to give up instead of like finding a way, right? And I feel like I want to go back to even like way, way back in the day when you were five years old, if you can remember when you were five, I have a feeling that you were very entrepreneurial and very inspired to do your own thing even back then. So can you talk to us a little bit about the childhood and what you were doing while you were growing up besides going to school? 
Of course. So I was always the type of person who loved to put on a show. So there's a big joke in my family that I sang before I spoke. <laughs> and I was always singing. I actually wanted to be a singer when I was older. And I was always a hustler. I always wanted to work. I came from a family of doctors. Everybody in my family is doctors. My siblings, all my cousins, my uncles, my dad, like everybody was a doctor and you were kind of expected to just study, study, study and work after you graduated med school. And like your job was to like become a doctor or maybe a lawyer or an engineer. But like the whole idea was to do well in school and not worry about any extracurricular activities and just study and go to med school. And for me, I was never like that. I demanded to work. Since I was 13 years old, I would even before that set up shop at the park and like when everybody was in summer camp at the park, try to sell stuff to like the other kids, whether that was bracelets or slushies and I would put everybody to work. And I was always this like little entrepreneurial spirit that would recruit other people to help me create a business. Like that was always my thing since I was a little girl. And so, yeah, I mean, the beauty of life is that you just layer on skills and experiences and, and you use your skills in unique ways as you get older and get more experienced. And I kind of have just leveraged that kind of mentality my whole life. I love that. I love that. That's amazing. And at the time, were you thinking like, hey, I want to go to college and what did you want to become, right? Because you knew that you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go the doctor route or the lawyer route, but what yeah. was your dream like job? So to appease my parents, I decided I was going to go to NJIT and that was a school in New Jersey and I would study how to make makeup. And so my first degree was actually being organic chemistry. It was, and I want, I wanted to make makeup and be an influencer that way. But my real passion and what I wanted to do, like as my dream was to become a famous singer. And so when I was in school around 19 years old, I fell in love with the law of attraction. And when I really got into it, and started to believe in myself and really believe that life was limitless and let go of the beliefs that like my parents and my family kind of trained me to have in terms of like expectations of life. Then I was like, oh, I'm going to be a famous singer and be famous. And and then I got the internship at Hot 97 and like all these crazy things. I almost got a show on MTV. All, the, all these things happened like in my early 20s because I had shifted my mindset at one point. But to answer your question, I originally went to school to be a, a chemist and to make makeup because it was, I thought it was the fun thing that my parents would allow me to do. <laughs> that is interesting. I love that. Yeah. Makeup is fun. I mean, we girls love our makeup, of course, right? Yeah. And here you are today. And I mean, you are definitely thriving. But of course, people only see where you are today. And along the way, there's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of struggles that come up. And if you think back to your journey of becoming a podcaster, of starting your own media company, what adversity did you face? Like, is there something that stands out and how did you overcome that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I feel like I've faced so many adversities in my life and so many rejections and failures. Everybody, to your point, they see the highlight reel. They see 10, 12 years later after all the hard work, the blood, sweat and tears. So in terms of the adversity, I mean... Number one is 9-11, right? I'm Arab American. I'm Palestinian American. Even since I was a little girl, just being Palestinian, my, my nationality is controversial. And I remember being a little girl growing up in a way in Jewish school and going over to my friend's house and I thought that I was just a normal kid and they'd be like, where are you from? And I'd say Palestine and Palestine doesn't exist. Like, what are you even talking about? Like adults would say this to me as like a seven, eight-year-old girl. And so just... All those little things add up. I remember being, and I'm only thinking about this because I wrote a post about this the other day on LinkedIn. I remember being at maybe like first day of school, you know, first grade or second grade, and I'm announcing my name to the kids that I'm about to spend the next 10 years with, 12 years of my life. What's your name? Oh, my name is Hella, right? That's how you actually say my name in Arabic. And I remember the gym teacher was like, hell as in hell, like Hella as in hell. And then like one of the girls who was friends with me was like, no, hella as in helicopter. And then like she was like, and it's just so funny because like you remember those things and it's those things that that you remember in terms of like just the little adversities, just even my name. I remember it was so hard for me to get a job after college because of my name. And wow. actually, if I got the interview or if my picture was on it, they were, I would get the call back. But if there was no picture of me and they just saw my name, they would assume I didn't know English or I looked weird or I didn't look like them or they couldn't relate to me. And so 
all my resumes have a picture on them. Otherwise, I would be discriminated against just because my name is strange. And by the way, why do I go by Hala now? Because I was made fun of when I was a kid just because of my name. So adversities, I think, mostly have to do with my ethnicity, honestly, and like the setbacks that I faced based on prejudices that other people had about Arabic people. I think the main point of my adversity, other than just like rejection from people along the way, gatekeepers telling me no, you know, not getting opportunities that I deserved, being a minority woman in general, I think was my biggest adversity. Yeah, because racism, it was really prevalent. They're like, no, you can't have this opportunity because we looked at your name, scratch, next resume, next resume or next whatever. But then you put your photo there. They're like, oh, she's beautiful. She's attractive. And if you were like, say, if it was a sales job, they're like, oh, she'll do well. And again, that's like this constant judgment that we get from from the world, right? And even in corporate America, they're judging all the time and they're playing favorites and they're giving promotions to people who maybe just kissed up to the boss and it wasn't really because they deserved it. And mm-hmm. and I know like I know you've experienced that as as well. And it happens all the time. And going back to when you were working in corporate at all these big brand name companies like Disney and Hewlett and other companies, what was your opinion of the whole corporate America thing? Did you ever say to yourself, you know what? I don't like the way they run things. I don't like that literally they act like they own you. I don't want any part of this anymore. Like what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, my first leg of corporate and I entered corporate pretty late because before corporate, I was working at a radio station and then I had a blog site and was hosting parties and concerts. And so like I started my career very late. But when I did start my corporate career, I started at Hewlett Packard and I actually loved their company culture and I really thrived. And I remember being in my corporate career starting late and thinking that I was going to be so behind everybody who had started their career earlier. But because I had learned everything on the internet, I was really digitally savvy. I was so much more technically advanced, especially in things like social media, which was like so hot when I first started corporate that like I just skyrocketed in my career and I got promoted left and right. But the thing is, Hewlett Packard was the CEO at the time was a woman. So it was a very like open culture, like women were really respected and treated like leaders and everything was kind of like fair game gender wise. Okay. And also like HP was just like open minded in terms of like cultural differences and, and people were really trained on like how to deal with like discrimination and all those kind of things. So I just feel like the company culture was actually conducive to have like a minority woman thrive in it. And I did. I, I really thrived at Hewlett Packard. I ended up leaving because I didn't get some opportunity that some HR our director didn't give me because of a personal issue with me, not necessarily like just like wider circumstances happening. When I went to Disney, that's when I actually decided to start a side hustle that was other than my podcast, Yap Media, my agency that actually like enabled me to quit my job and like start making enough money to actually build an empire that I built with Yap Media. But Disney triggered me to do that. And that's because when I went to Disney, it was a total boys club. And it was so obvious. I was there for two years. Imagine I was at Hewlett Packard and getting promoted every six months. I was like leading people twice my age. Like I was given so much respect and responsibility. I go to Disney and like they're literally treating me like an intern. That's how I felt even though I was such a high well-paid job. But I felt like I was treated like an intern. I was seeing like men that were younger than me, like getting promoted over me and like all these boys like hanging out with VPs and stuff like that and me not getting invited to the bar and like all those kind of things and like just getting passed up for opportunity, didn't get promoted in two years. And then COVID hit and I started Yap Media and it like took off immediately and I was like, well, I'm out of this shithole. Like, (laughs) I'm not going to waste my time. I know my worth. And so I just left. So had I stayed at Hewlett Packard, I might have just stayed until I became CEO. Like that was what I felt at Hewlett Packard. At Disney, I was like, this is not for me. I'm not being valued. I don't see any sort of pathway to anything extremely extraordinary. And I want to be extraordinary in my life. So I can't stay here. And I figured I was really getting some momentum with the podcast. And I leveraged that. Yeah, I really love that. Because some people they just get comfortable and they get complacent. And they're just like, you know what, 
I have a job. It pays a paycheck every two weeks and they just stay whether they're happy or not, whether they're fulfilled or not. And, and I love that you unapologetically said, listen, I'm not going to stay. I am better than this. I'm going to be able to accomplish way more on my own and I'm out of here. Like, bye-bye. See you later. You know? And I think that takes courage. It really, really does. And I think a lot of people stay in opportunities. They stay in relationships because they don't have the courage to leave or they don't have that belief and confidence in themselves. That's so important when you're like going out to venture to do something on your own, right? Because for you, I'm sure that was the first time you're starting a company of your own. That had to be an exciting experience, but it also had to be a little bit of a scary experience and, and nerve wracking. And listening to some of your other interviews, Heather Monahan, she was the one that put the idea in, in your head and said she saw something in you and she gave you that little push, just that little push that you needed, right? And now you've got such a successful media company and I'm going to let you tell me a little bit about that. And I want to dig a little deeper after that. Yeah, 100%. So Heather Monahan did encourage me to start my business. So when I started Younger Profiting Podcast, just to like back up. So I, I started this podcast. The podcast in, in itself is a business now, right? Yeah. And I get sponsorships and it's its own company in itself. And when I first started the podcast, I literally thought that I would never make a dollar. I didn't even understand the podcast business model. Even two and a half years ago when Clubhouse first started, I was touting on Clubhouse. You can't make a business out of a podcast. Like that's a pipe dream. You know, now I realize like, no, it's not. You can definitely make a business out of just podcasting if you know what you're doing. Right. And if you understand the business behind podcasting. But regardless, I had pure intentions when I first started and I always thought that it was just going to be a hobby. Now, one thing that I did want and that I did put out there and knew that would eventually happen, I knew that it would eventually be a company, but I thought I was going to have a podcast network, which I do now, but I didn't realize there was going to be this step of an agency in between, which eventually I think my agency is just going to almost power my network, right? And so this marketing agency was birthed from the fact that I had grown my influence on LinkedIn and I was really standing out with innovative videos and audiograms and was one of the first podcasters that was utilizing video, especially on LinkedIn. I be quickly became one of the biggest podcasters on LinkedIn and Heather Monahan came on my show. And when Heather came on my show, we hit it off. It wasn't anything that special. But what happened was is she was a huge influencer on LinkedIn, maybe three times my size. And she would constantly comment on my videos. And she'd be like, Hala, I need you to do my videos. Hala, when, when, am I, when are you going to teach me how to do this? Hala, how are you making those, these videos? I want to chat. So I was, like, I was like, okay, Heather, we can talk. At the time, my dad was in the hospital COVID. It was a really hard time in my life. I was actually at my parents' house. I'd left my boyfriend's house in Brooklyn and was basically quarantined at my parents' house. I got COVID myself. My dad was oh. in the hospital and nobody wanted to hang out with me for like three months because it was just when COVID happened. This is May of 2020. And wow. everybody was very afraid of COVID. It was actually April of, of 2020 and everybody was really afraid of COVID. And so nobody was hanging out with me. And so I had all this time stuck in my parents' house and Heather was like, train me how to do videos. I'm like, sure, I have nothing better to do. I'll train you how to do videos. So we had a call and I was showing her around, I showed her my Slack channel. At the time, I had volunteers and interns who were just working on the show for free. I have a little knack of recruiting teams like we discussed earlier. And so I literally had maybe 15 to 20 people in a Slack channel that were volunteers and interns helping me with the show. Maybe it was less, maybe it was like 15 at the time. And then Heather looked at all my stuff, my Slack channels, files, my headliner, my Canva templates. And I taught her what I was doing and showed her around. And she was like, Hala, like this is better than VaynerMedia. I just had a call with VaynerMedia and this is more impressive. If not just as good as what VaynerMedia is doing, like I, I want you to start making my content. I want you to manage my LinkedIn. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I don't think I could do that. I have a full-time job. I have a career, but I can start with your videos. And so she started paying us like 700 bucks a month, like 500 to 700 bucks a month, nothing big. And then it ended up taking over all of her LinkedIn, then taking over all of her podcasts, her Instagram. And then we just landed client after client after client. And it was actually my podcast that became my lead generation tool. 
And so whether people invited me on their podcast and then they became my client, like Jason Waller, who happens to be a billionaire, right? See, that was the only one that that ever happened. And then it's usually the guests that come on my show and like Kara Golden, the CEO of Hintwater, Brian Scudamore, the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Kim Perrell, Alex Carter, the, the world's number one negotiator for females. Marshall Goldsmith is my client. He's a huge author. I manage all of his social channels. So basically, we just kept landing best-selling author, CEO, high-ticket social media and podcast services. And it just grew overnight. Six months into it, I had 30 employees around the world. I have a creative team in the Philippines, an ops team in India, my social team and production teams in the US. And six months into it, I was still at Disney, still not promoted, even though I really worked just as hard as at Disney while I was working at the company. I just had no commute and a lot of extra time. I had 30 employees by the time I decided to quit and wow. full-time U.S. employees. By the time I decided to quit, I was that safe with everything. I really waited until there was really no risk, even though being an entrepreneur in itself is is very risky, I've learned. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It seems like you definitely have the building a team down to the core. And I want to dive into that a little bit. So for our listeners who are maybe in the process of trying to build out their own teams right now, first of all, you know, in terms of getting interns, like how do they get an intern? Do they go look at a college website? Who do they ask for? Like, talk to us about the intern part of it first. Yeah, sure. So when it came to my intern program, I really just put out a solicit online. And typically what I do is I give them a stipend, a monthly stipend for working as an intern. When I first started, we weren't making any money and it was just all volunteers to be transparent. Nobody was making any money, so it wasn't weird. And if anything, it was way easier to keep that team motivated and excited and everything like that because we were just all working towards giving back towards a common mission and it was me teaching everyone how to have really valuable skills and me working very, very, very hard. And so the dynamic was just like, let's learn from Hala and support this mission for wider good. And then once we were actually getting money, it was a whole different story. Then it's like everybody's on payroll. Everyone's getting a stipend. It's more official, right? Because it's actually a company now. So in terms of getting intern, we would put out solicits on LinkedIn. That's where I grew my following. And so I would just hop on video and be like, what's up, everybody? We have a quarterly internship program. I'm going to teach you how to do X, Y, and Z. And the way that it works is that if you do a good job after three or four months, you basically have full-time job ready for you, especially if you're like a senior in college or something, because we're a service-based business, a social media agency. As soon as I get a new client, I usually have to hire more people. So I love having interns that get trained and, you know, we teach them valuable skills. They can either stay, get a job with me, or they'll be trained up to go get a job somewhere else. So it's a beautiful program and internships are amazing. Now, what's surprising is that a lot of people don't care about college credit. I offer it, but a lot of them don't even want it. And a lot of the people that I interned are actually people who graduated school and they couldn't get a job. And I was able to give them the skills that they needed to get a job, whether it was me with me or someone else. That is amazing. I mean, that's a win-win for both parties and especially for them because they have options, right? They can come work for you if they want. And if, if they don't, they can take those skills and they can get a position somewhere else, but it's really valuable use of their time. So I think that's amazing that, you know, you did that. And then in terms of even hiring like teams from all over the world, right? You've got some in India, some in the Philippines. How did you build out these teams? Like, how did you find them? And could have been again, could be on LinkedIn because you really, you know, had a big presence there. I'm just curious if it was LinkedIn or if it was something else. Yeah, 100%. So I did start, I guess, with LinkedIn. And everything that I did was building small one step at a time. So my creative team in the Philippines, which is now like 25 plus people all started with one video editor. And I remember I had this service. This is actually a really funny story. I was using this service called Video Husky. And I didn't have anybody that was hired at this point. I just had my volunteers, but like nobody really knew how to video edit except for me. And that's like a really hard skill to train. I would try and like nobody would do it good enough. And so I eventually needed to outsource that. And so I looked to this company called Video Husky, which apparently had unlimited video editing. This is before I had an agency. It was just my podcast. And so I wanted to do like two, three videos a week. And apparently unlimited video editing is just one video a week or so. it was something ridiculous. And it was $700 a month. 
And and they ended up firing me as a client because they said that I was too demanding. And they said to me, you should go get your own team. You need your own team. And so I was like, all right. So I literally went on LinkedIn and I went and I poached their video editors. You can actually go on LinkedIn and you can see people who work for a company. So I went to Video Husky and I found the girl who I was working with and she got laid off. The girl that was doing my videos, who was amazing, got laid off. And I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I was wondering if you're looking for a job. And she's like, actually, I just got laid off from Video Husky. And I was like, wow, how much were they paying you? And she's like, $550 a month. And I was like, cool, I'll pay you $700. And so instead of doing one video a week, I started doing like four or five videos a day with her. And then she ended up training the next, like as we were growing, she would train the next person and they were doing videos and graphics. And then eventually I got just graphic designers. Then my team in the Philippines started helping me recruit other people in the Philippines. And then I met my creative director, Trish on Clubhouse, who's from the Philippines. And she's like a more of a higher up executive. And she runs my entire creative team and took it off my hands after I built it up to like 10 people. Then Trish took it and now it's even bigger and, and better and like so many different roles at that team. And it's just crazy. It all started with one video editor who I was like, hey, like they're screwing you. I'll give you a job and let's do this. I love that you're just such a badass. I mean, I absolutely love that <laughs> because it's just like, it just makes me so happy to see you're like, you know what? Okay, well, you told me to start my own thing. I will. And I'm actually going to take your people with me. And then I started, I got so many of their employees who on their own accord go, come and work for us. And I'm like, sure, you could. I know you're well trained. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm sure they hated you. <laughs> they hated you. They're like, who is this woman? Okay, she's beautiful. And she's smart. But Wow, she's also dangerous. You have to watch out for this one because she'll come <laughs> in and and if you say something to her, she will literally take it and run with it. Where you know, if they said that to somebody else, they'd be like, Okay, whatever, right? But it, it seems like every time someone's told you no in life, you're like, Hell yeah, you know, like hell yeah, like I'm gonna do this and it just seems like that almost like drives you internally. Like, am I right? Like is there this internal thing in you where somebody tells you no? you're like, hell yeah. It's not really somebody telling me no. It's more that I don't sit on rejection and like wallow in rejection and decide that somebody else's opinion of where I ought to be or belong isn't the truth, right? And so I just know that like my power is in me and you're not going to stop me. No one person telling me no is going to stop me. So it's not necessarily like you told me no, so I'm going to do it. It's more like I know I'm going to do it no matter who tells me no in the process, you know? Yeah, exactly. Love that. With that, with like success too, like when you're on the way up and you know, you're just growing and growing and growing, I think a lot of stuff happens along the way. And sometimes like people who you think are your friends are not really your friends. And then you get maybe haters that are out there like, how did you handle all of that? Because I mean, it happens to everyone. So I can imagine it, it's probably happened to you as well. But how did you deal with the haters, the naysayers or the friends that are like, because they're jealous, now all of a sudden, they're criticizing what you're doing because they don't understand it. They don't understand podcasting because they've never had a podcast. They don't understand running a media agency because they don't have a media agency. Maybe they still work in corporate. And even if I've had people like that, it's like, oh, I was making Instagram reels and they were working in corporate and they never knew anything about it. They didn't understand it. So instead of like understanding, they were like criticizing, right? I remember one day, it was like a Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. And I get this message on Instagram and it's this girl that I know that's a friend of a friend. So I've known her for many years. I'd call her like an acquaintance. And she messages me the nastiest message on Instagram and says, Dimple, you look crazy. And I'm like, oh, I look crazy because I'm making an Instagram reel. Like, okay. And you know, it's funny because she was on a plane at 9 a.m. getting drunk, sending these messages. But it was like so upsetting. Like I just blocked her and everything because it's like I was like ready to have a great day and it just threw Aww. my day off. You know what I mean? But yeah. people, But people like that, I think the thing is like I realized later, 
secretively, she was jealous of me and she didn't like me, right? But she was pretending like she was okay. And I just, I figured that out later. So have you experienced friends who have changed, you know, based on when you started to get bigger and grow with success? Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's definitely hard to change and transform and expect that your circle of friends and people that you're surrounding with isn't going to change either. And so as I've evolved into like this new phase of my life, I feel like I've shed a lot of friends. And honestly, it's been really hard. Like I hate talking about it because it's been hard. Like it's been I lost my boyfriend of 12 years. I have a new boyfriend and he's amazing. But it's like that was still my family. You know what I mean? And it's like person is no longer in my life. And I don't think he's ever going to be in my life again and it's also like my best friends from high school like it's like people just can't see you the way that you are now they see you as what you were especially if you went to high school with someone they they can't acknowledge who you are now or believe it or want it or relate to it and I don't think it's necessarily jealousy because I feel like everybody has good intentions and I feel like I genuinely believe that my friends have good intentions, but I feel like it's just unrelatable and annoying. And I feel bad for people like my sister, like my sister's so supportive, but I went to her birthday party. The first thing that her friends say is like, oh my gosh, like you're so famous. Right. We go, I go to Jordan and my cousins are like talking about like same kind of sentiment. You know what I mean? I'm not even that famous yet. Like, yeah, I feel like it's going to get so much worse for everybody in my life. And it's because it's like, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. Like, I don't think I made it yet, you know? And even my sisters like was like, I'm just surprised. Like, I felt very jealous when we were in Jordan. I felt like everybody kept talking about your podcast and your business. And I'm a doctor and I felt unsuccessful. And it's just like really weird. And, it made me realize that like, well, no wonder like a lot of people that was friends with me don't want to be my friend, but it's really easy to make new friends, but it's also hard to determine who's really my friend and who's not. So it's hard to navigate like really transforming. And I feel like had I chose something that was not necessarily like putting myself out there so much when it comes to social media or just being like more of a personality, I don't think I would have gotten the same pushback. I don't think it's about entrepreneur or corporate because I feel like my friends and my family, they want me to be successful. I think it's the clout that comes with the type of stuff that I'm doing that people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think sometimes it's just they haven't experienced it themselves and they don't understand it. And I think that part of it even, you know, makes them uncomfortable, but they're probably going to be a whole lot uncomfortable because I know you've got a lot more you're going to be accomplishing and a lot more goals on your list and things because you're not done yet. I mean, you are like ready to take on the world. And, you know, speaking of that, what are some things that you're really excited about that have happened in 2022 that you wanted to share? Well, I started my podcast network. So to me, that is one of my number one priorities. It's so exciting. So basically, I figured out how to monetize my podcast network. And really, Yap really blew up two years ago in terms of the the size of our show and the ability to get sponsorships. And I independently learned how to get sponsorships. And I've worked with all the different sales channels. And then I grew a couple of other shows to my size. I learned how to do podcast media buying and, and really being able to control the size and the growth of my clients' podcasts and monetize their shows. And then that triggered me because there was one point in the year when things were really hot. And I was like, I'm out of inventory. I have no more spots to sell. And all these brands are knocking at our door. I should start a network. And so I started recruiting other shows. And now I have about seven or eight exclusive shows. I've decided to keep it small, grow them big. And we're about to sign a very cool deal that I'm really excited about. We're getting signed exclusive. I'm going to be no longer independent, which I'm very excited about. You know, it's been hard doing it all by myself. And I feel like I got it so far and I'm like, okay, yes, some help. So I'm very excited. <laughs> that, congratulations on that. That is super exciting. And yeah, I mean, it's like you can do it alone, but for how long? Eventually you can experience burnout. And I think sometimes it's just fun to have somebody there by your side too, who's there to support you. And then you feel like, okay, well, you know, I'm not in this all alone and, and I have someone to support me. I have someone that believes in what we're building together and, and that's amazing. So I'm super excited for you. Does your podcast network have like its own name or anything like yeah, that? Yeah. So it's called the Yap Media Network. Everything okay. is Yap Media. So it's Yap Podcast, Yap Media, Yap Media Network. And 
I love our name, by the way, because Yap, I just feel like it's such a cool name to have to own in podcast industries. Everything is under that Yap umbrella. And then in terms of the partnership, I mean, it's going to be an exclusive sales partner. So they're going to be focused on the sales and I'll be focused on the content, the growth, the social, which is our sweet spot. So I'm just uh, part of the partnership that I'm excited about is really the ability to focus on what we're really good at. And the best thing to have in a partner is somebody who can kind of deliver on your weaknesses. And so you can focus on your strengths. So very excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have that complimentary, you know, person who is going to come in and they can do things that maybe you don't like doing or their talents are a little bit and skills a little bit different than yours. So I love that. And then in terms of the podcast is, is like huge. It's something I really want to dive into a little bit deeper. And when it comes to sponsorships, I think a lot of people always think, you know, oh, I'm going to launch a show and automatically in a month or two, like sponsors are going to be coming to me. And I think that's not realistic. That's not really how it happens. And I feel like even what you're sharing, it seems like you have actually gone after sponsors yourself, you know, instead of waiting for them to come to you. And so I want to talk about if someone's launching a show, what are some realistic goals and expectations to have? Because I always say to them, you want to launch a podcast, do it to build your brand and do it as an avenue to share your expertise and your skills with the world, right? Because it's a voice and it's like your brand and your brand, you should always be building your brand, right? But don't do it where you're going to think, oh, month one, I'm going to be able to monetize it. Month one, I'm going to get a ton of clients because I mean, it could happen, but I personally, I don't think that's realistic, you know? So what are your thoughts on all that? Oh yeah, it's definitely not realistic. I mean, podcasting, as a lot of people say, is a long game. It requires consistency and honestly, it requires strategy. I feel like most podcasters are really only worried about their content and they're not worried about the promotion and they're not learning about the different promotional tactics. I mean, I would say most of my free time, and I'm just being honest, I'm a podcast nerd. Most of my free time is just researching how I can grow my podcast. Not the content, not the guests, not like all that kind of, that stuff is easy in my opinion. I feel like that's like a really controllable thing. The growth of your podcast is like being strategic, creative, experimenting, like really learning things that people aren't giving away for free and investing and reinvesting, right? So it's it's a whole business model and you're not actually going to make money off sponsorships unless you're actually invested in the growth of your podcast and monetarily and with your time and all of that. And also like, the other thing is you can hire an expert. There's not many of them in the podcast space, but I do podcast media buying. Jordan Harbinger is one of my partners in this space for that kind of a thing. And there are podcasters that do it for themselves and will do it for other people, you know, but it does take investment and time and you can do it on your own, but it takes experimentation. So for example, like now I'm all about like experimenting with paid ads and how to grow my podcast following with social paid ads, right? And really figuring that out or how to, you know, drive people from LinkedIn to my podcast and getting more innovative with that since my following following is getting bigger, my reach is getting bigger, figuring out how to translate those social following into subscribers. And just to reiterate, you know, promotion matters and, and being strategic with your marketing matters. And you should spend a lot of time on it if you're serious about being a podcaster. Otherwise, you're doing all this work upon deaf ears. And I feel like that's just a waste of time. If you're not willing to actually put it out there and like one by one, even get listeners in any means that you can, you know, even in the DMs and reaching out personally, and once you have 200 people who listen to an episode, like that's cool. You know what I mean? You have 200 people who are listening to what you have to say and you can keep building onto that, right? So it's not that you have to have this massive podcast, but I feel like people just don't do the work required even just to get a small following so that it's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. No, I always say like, yeah, you use it to build your brand, but you have to promote it and you have to have a marketing strategy to market and promote your episodes because I always like say, okay, well, you have your show, but then what are you going to, where are you going to put but, it? But here's the thing. It's taking it to that next step. So it's like people, they do the bare minimum. They're like, I'm going to put up a video on Instagram, a story on Instagram, a post on Instagram, and then everyone's going to find my show. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, like there's so much more to it. 
It's yeah. very hard to pull people from social to your podcast. There's so many other tactics that you could be taking. There's ways to track it and iterate and get better and, and lower the cost of your subscriber. Like that's the kind of stuff you need to be really into if you want to actually take podcasting seriously, you know? And if you're not doing that kind of thing, you're just like a noob. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're not a real podcaster. Like, it, like you need to like really know your stuff. Yeah, you're saying there's like a whole even science behind it. And it's like studying, you know, trends, studying what's working, what's not working and finding new and innovative ways to like really promote your show and take it to the next level and be creative where it's like not just okay, everyone can put it on Instagram or make a reel out of it, things like that. But it's really taking it on a whole other level. So 100%. Yeah. So based on that, I'd love it if you could share like maybe just one little tip on how you would do that or how you would tell someone to do that. Yeah, 100%. I'm happy to do that. The real key is that you want to be where the podcast listeners are. And so if you always keep that mentality, right, I'm, like that's priority number one, be where the podcaster is. And that means on the different apps, there's like 70 apps that make up the market, right? So what does that mean? Interviewing on other podcasts. Right. So what I'm doing right now, I'm interviewing on your podcast. If you guys like what I'm saying, you can subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast. Right. If I was a real animal and like ruthless, I'd be like, hey, can we pixel this episode so I can see how many people converted to my podcast from yours? And you can actually track that in apps like Chartable. And in a similar manner, I could say, hey, Dimple, could you read a commercial for me? about Young and Profiting Podcasts and can we pixel track that? And I would be able to see how many people listened, estimated, how many people downloaded the episode to their phone and how many people actually went and downloaded my episode from listening to you? Who in the household? Did anybody in the household download that episode from you? I can track that in Chartable, right? And then theoretically, if it works well, I could get a commercial on Dimple's podcast every week or every single episode. And if it didn't work well, I could be like, well, let me go test another show. So that's a lot of podcasters are doing host read ads on other podcasts. In a similar manner, you can do in-feed drops. So that means I'd be like, Dimple, you know, for a thousand dollars, would you, would you just read a five minute or, you know, one to three minute commercial and drop it as like an episode. And it would be like, you know, Holitas Young and Profiting Podcast Review or whatever the heck I'd say. A lot of those in-feed drops are for new podcasts. And so it'll be like new podcast announcing. And then all of your users would get a push notification. That's why that's so powerful on all the different apps that they use. So that's one way. The other way to be visible in the apps is to do in-app media buying. So a lot of players, they offer banner ads, featured podcasts, areas, and so if you go on any podcast app and you see a featured podcast app section, that should trigger you, oh, this is a paid ad opportunity. Let me try to find somebody who works there and, and see how much this costs and see what the potential results could be. And let me do a test. So like I'm constantly being like, what new apps are available? Do they have active users? Is there a spot for me to advertise? And then I do that for my clients. I'll just make relationships and then find out what's available. And then every quarter they send me spots and I get them resold. So I'll do that all the time because I've built the relationships. But anyone can do this. You could just be investigative and find the right people and figure out how it's done. And you obviously need to be able to invest. So there's free ways, there's paid ways to grow. And then there's all social, you know, social is a great way. It's definitely second priority because half of the people who are on social don't even listen to podcasts, but it's still a great way to convert real active listeners. And by the way, also to get reviews and things like that, which is like social proof. And so I'm constantly in the DMs. One of the tactics that we do is I'll put up a video, any sort of asset that we put on social media, whoever engages with that asset, if it's related to an episode, is going to get a DM about that episode with a direct link, right? And if they come back and say they enjoyed the episode, they're going to be asked to write a review, right? It's just coming up with these loops and conversations that you have with people to continually drive them to your priority. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And it's, it's a very well thought out strategy. And that's the thing. A lot of people, they start a business, but they don't even take the time to write a business plan or put together a marketing strategy. And then they wonder why they fail, right? Because 
You know, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to spend this much money on this and this and this. That's not a marketing strategy. Anyone can spend money if they have money, but it's more so really doing your research and determining what is the goal for your business or for your brand? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to take it? What do you want to rank for in terms of even SEO? Like when I talk about podcasting, I always talk about, you know, one of the things about podcasts is they rank high organically, but you have to know how to take advantage of search engine optimization, right? And a lot of people, I see their shows and I'm like, why did they title it this way? You know, I'm just like, oh, because if they titled it differently, they could be getting hundreds of views and they don't do that, right? My first year launching podcast was, yeah, like a year ago, like last year. And I launched like four shows because I was, I had wanted to have a podcast for so many years. And then I just, things would get in the way and everything would get in the way. And finally I launched my first show. Then I launched some like fun shows too, like Emily in Paris, where we talk about the show and stuff, but it was all a strategy. Okay. I know I can get this to rank and just getting free traffic, but I think people need to really sit down and write down a real plan for even like their podcast, they need to be strategic about the name that they pick, like everything from yeah. A to Z. And you've done a really great job of building up organically. And, you know, the caliber of guests that you have on your show, I mean, they are like the creme de la creme, right? You've got celebrities, <laughs> you know, you've got Seth Godin, you've got all these people. So I want to talk about that a little bit, because that is just exciting, remarkable. First of all, like, it seems like you already had experience in this even before you had a podcast from what we talked about before. But do you remember like in your mind, because you have plenty of celebrities on there, but in your mind, who was your first celebrity that you got on your show? How did it happen? And how did it make you feel? Well, I would say that from the start, I had big guests on my show. So my first ever guest was Dr. Jack Schaefer, and he was the author of The Like Switch and Dory Clark. So like off the bat, I had like huge authors on my show and most of my guests are authors or CEOs. Some of them are celebrities, but like they're celebrities, quote unquote, they're like people know their name a lot and they have lots of fans and things like that. But, you know, I'm not interviewing J-Lo and Chris Brown and all the Kim Kardashian. <laughs> I might. I had Matthew McConaughey on the show. I had big guests, Dave Asprey, Ed Milet. I've had big guests in my space. So anybody who's in the self improvement space and if they're a big name they're on my show Wim Hof like you name it so I've had I'm not trying to downplay my guests like I've had incredible incredible guests but from the start it's all been the same and I always was really really careful with who I invited on my show because I knew that the names that I got were leverage and every time I got one person it led me to somebody who was even bigger and I knew that if I like didn't have the right caliber guests, it could actually ruin the credibility of my podcast. And when people are coming on and making the decision to come on my show and evaluating my show, they're looking at who else went on my show. And that's either going to excite them or make them not excited about the show. And so I knew that from the very start. And I was very, very careful. And basically, the way that I did it before I had any listeners is I gave my backstory to all of these guests. And so I remember I landed David Allen, episode number five. Okay, he wrote Getting Shit Done. He's one of the biggest authors in the world. That was one of my biggest first interviews that like I felt like, wow, like David Allen, you know, he thought it was huge that we got David Allen. And I just remember messaging him. And first of all, I was doing something a little bit different. It was relatively new. Now everyone has a podcast. When I was doing it four and a half years ago, it was still like, wow, this young girl has a podcast. Like, good for her. Like, I want to support her. And by the way, like, especially a, a girl, like, I just feel like I just stood out. And I had a very innovative way of reaching out to people. I'd reach out in LinkedIn Connect messages. And I would invite them to connect and be like, hey, what's up? My name is Hala. I have a podcast. It's a top 10 hot to podcast and or top 100 or whatever ranking I was at the time. And I'd love to connect. They saw that I was like active on LinkedIn. I didn't have a huge following, but I was like trying to get active. This was all in the very beginning. I probably had 5,000 followers still, but all these people still said yes to me because I was just like energetic and, and showed potential and just like was doing something new and had great looking graphics and assets. And so they probably were like, well, if I'm going to give a shot on somebody up and coming, like she looks like I should give her a shot, you know? And so I feel like people just took a chance on me because I had all the right things, even though I didn't have the downloads. And so, yeah, I had David Allen, episode five, I had Chris Voss, episode number 23, 
right? I was landing people like Nereal and Dan Pink, like episode 30. Stephen Kotler was like episodes 30. David Meltzer was like episode like in the 20s and 30s. So I was by like my 20, 30th episode, I was getting like big guests. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Like I had Matthew McConaughey. That's probably still my biggest guest. That was a year ago. I've had great guests since then and better interviews since then. And to me, it's not just about like how big the guest is. But of course, I want a number one expert. I want people that respect that somebody that has a name, but they don't necessarily have to be like the biggest celebrity in the world. It just has to be really valuable content for my listeners. Well, I listen to your podcast all the time. And the content is absolutely amazing because the thought leaders and the guests that you bring on, they are of extreme high caliber and they all have very interesting insights on life and mindset and business and business hacks and marketing and, and everything. And even like, you know, Chris Voss, I, I know him. I used to be on this breakfast club committee at this private club in LA and he was one of the guest speakers. And this was when he came in and he was talking about hostage negotiation and he was talking about writing the book so it's so cool now like to see like wow this book is out there and he's you know oh, wow. made it a mega success because I knew him when he was like talking about doing it so it's like so cool to see that I love that so I know we're about to wrap up but I wanted to know if there's a favorite motto or saying or slogan that you love to live your life by I love this. I love the slogan, how you do anything is how you do everything. I feel like I always love to give my 120%. I had Ed Milet on the show and he's this big podcaster, motivational speaker. Your listeners probably know who he is. And he always talks about this concept of one more. He just put out a book called One More. And I always like to take that mentality. If I'm working out, I'll do one more set. You know what I mean? Even if I feel so tired, if I'm doing work, I'll do, you know, 10 more emails. And I always just try to like push myself a little bit further. And I do that with everything that I do. Like if I have a presentation, it looks beautiful and I rock it. I prepare. If I have an interview, I study and I'm never just going in blind. And I really feel like how you do anything is how you do everything. And so no matter what it is, if it's doing my hair, if it's doing my makeup, I want to learn how to do it amazing and and do my best. And so I just always try to do my best. And I feel like when you try to do everything your best and live that way, you know, good things will come your way. Yeah, that is a great philosophy to have. I love that. Thank you so much. And is there anything you wanted to share before we wrap up? Is there anything exciting you wanted to announce? I mean, I'll obviously put all your information in the show notes and, you know, connect your podcast and all that. But is there anything exciting that you're working on, you know, besides the network that you wanted to share with the audience? Nothing really to share other than the fact that I have some amazing interviews coming out. So I'm interviewing Guy Kawasaki tomorrow, which is really fun. I recently had Wim Hof on the show. Like I said, I had Ed Milet on the show. I had Deepak Chopra on the show. So many great recent episodes. Oh, yeah. We didn't mention celebrity Deepak Chopra. Like, Jesus Christ, that was a pinch me moment. But I've had some awesome awesome guest. So you guys can check that out. Young and Profiting. It's on all the major apps. And I'd love for you guys to listen to the show. Absolutely. They have to like download all the episodes and binge on them because I mean, they are full of value. So thank you so much for being on Mesmerizing Marketing and we will see you next time. Thanks, Dimple. And if you've been thinking of launching your own podcast, make sure you check the show notes for my next Launch Your Podcast Masterclass so that you can also have a show like we do. Thank you for listening to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you don't ever miss an episode and also share it with your friends. Dimple would be so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review and visit the podcast website to check out all the latest episodes at www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. That's www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. And follow Dimple on Clubhouse. Her handle is Marketing Expert. And also join her Mesmerizing Marketing Club also on Clubhouse for live rooms on top marketing strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to mesmerize their marketing. Oh,